What's up, everybody? This is your host, Scott Melker, and you're listening to the Wolf of All Streets podcast. Every week, I'm talking to your favorite personalities from the worlds of Bitcoin, finance, trading, art, music, sports, politics, and basically anyone else with an interesting story to tell. So sit down, strap in, and get ready, because we're going deep. Let's go. Today's episode is brought to you by Choice by Kingdom Trust and Voyager. We'll learn more about them later on in the episode. This podcast is powered by Blockworks Group, the only events and podcast production company I trust. For access to the premier digital asset conferences and in-depth podcast content, visit them at blockworksgroup.io. I promise you will not be disappointed. Today's guest is a longtime trader with influence and inspiration far beyond the charts. He's tried his hand at trading a number of emerging markets, seemingly always finding himself ahead of the curve. His story is one of perseverance, strange timing, hardship, and overcoming tremendous odds. And his robust resume includes being an author, CNBC guest, teacher, cryptocurrency titan, and so much more, as I'm sure you'll find out today. Big Cheds, man, it's an honor to have you. Welcome to the show. Hey, it's definitely an honor for me to be here. Uh, that was a, I appreciate how you described me. I hope to one day live up uh, to, to the way you described me. That was pretty impressive. I like to make life really hard and challenging on people so mm. that they uh, have to leave here and actually uh, you know, try to live up to the challenge. <laughs> We'll work on it. We'll work on it over here. Yeah, no doubt. So uh, I guess before we get into the heavier stuff, uh, can you talk about your beginnings as a trader and what, what led you to choose trading as a, as a pursuit? Trading's interesting. I, uh, so what, what led me to it? So I started trading initially big board stuff uh, and that wasn't so serious. That was, um, you know, maybe more than 10 years ago when I was just kind of, hey, you know, I had a little money to play with. Um, you know, and I thought, hey, maybe I can try my luck at this or that, you know, because I played poker for a long time. I understand wagering. Um, I understand like picking your spots, trying to find an advantage uh, somewhere. So I tried some stocks. I didn't do too well. Um, and then back around 2013, uh, when marijuana became legal in the U.S., um, I saw a lot of volatility, a lot of action in the penny stock market. Uh, and I started p- trading penny stocks. And that's where I really, I would say I cut my teeth. Um, you know, I had a lot of money moving in both directions, some major losses some major gains, uh, you know, made a quarter million and then lost it, you know, uh, a week later. So it was humbling. Uh, I learned a lot of things that really, uh, it got me interested in technical analysis, uh, especially Japanese candlesticks. I started to see, uh, the psychology of the market expressed in the candlesticks and that led me to want to learn more, uh, and learning can be addictive, uh, as I'm sure, you know, you might attest to, uh, when something's interesting, you know, um, I have a good friend of mine who doesn't like to read, but if it's a topic he's really interested in, man, he'll just sit and read. Right. So, so learning can be addictive for something you're into that got me into technical analysis. Um, and I did that for a few years. And then in in 2017, um, I started looking into crypto and my good buddy, big Chonus on Twitter at big Chonus, uh, shout out. Um, he showed me his iPhone one day and he, and it had like Ethereum, uh, Litecoin, you know, some other things in my mind. It was weird. I looked at it and I, I thought like, why does he have these precious metals in his <laughs> phone? Like, I didn't get it. Like, I, I'm like, what are you collecting minerals? Like, I didn't understand. And Ethereum really does sound like a precious metal. It's, it, it, that's what my, I thought was my first impression, right? It's your first impression. Um, and so I started, you know, at that point, so I had built up kind of a reputation as a newbie helper, uh, from, from the penny stock market, because I made so many spectacular mistakes, uh, that I kind of, I, I, I shared the lessons of those mistakes with people. And I, and, and I started the blog, chedstrading.blogspot.com, you know, with the tagline, uh, helping new traders avoid my old mistakes and kind of in the process of teaching, uh, I learned myself and that's kind of the, a natural progression with any kind of um, thing you're trying to learn. You have to learn it. And then when you can teach someone else, that's kind of that next level, that mastery level. So that's kind of the path that, that I took. I built up a Twitter following and re- you know, when I write, when I kind of discovered crypto, uh, I discovered that the charts I was putting out were getting crazy interaction, you know, like all of a sudden, I was getting all these retweets and likes. And I said, oh, that's kind of fun. You know, what's this crypto thing? What's this Bitcoin? So I did Litecoin charts, I did Bitcoin charts. And uh, that's kind of how I found crypto, man. Yeah, kind of a similar evolution to a lot of people and myself too. I mean, that's kind of when I got into it. And I have, you know, a similar background, not necessarily in penny stocks and uh, and weed stocks, but definitely like yeah. trying my hand at options and Forex and, you know, right, like, right, yeah. uh, just, just trading Apple and stuff. It's funny, you mentioned that... Um, Something that just stuck out to me. You said, 
you were trading all these penny stocks, losing and gaining tremendously, and then you found technical analysis. So what were you using to identify trades before technical analysis? And how were you, well, you probably weren't managing risk is the right. answer, but how were you theoretically managing a trade without a chart? Uh, momentum. I was looking for, I mean, very rudimentary uh, levels of technical analysis. You know, I, I was on a message board um, app on my iPad and, and yeah, I would sort by volume and what had the most volume. So it kind of was just attracted to, to price action. And I would just study the L2, the order book. It's not necessarily technical analysis, but I became good at understanding uh, kind of what the moment, the direction, the momentum was, the force, kind of the pivots uh, when it was changing. I learned certain things about uh, you know, the, the penny stocks, it's all about, uh, there's a company that doesn't exist that pretends to exist, uh, and, and they take on toxic debt. So someone loans them 10 grand, which they can later convert into a hundred grand at the expense of retail traders. So it's toxic debt. So you learn, uh, which market makers were distributing the toxic debt. You'd see when retail was buying it, you'd see these kind of pivot points where it's about to, um, price would jump one way or another. So I studied the order book. I studied kind of the price action. Um, but I didn't understand really moving averages. I didn't understand uh, the you know the difference between you know a hammer and a shooting star. I didn't like I didn't get any of that at that point. Uh, that, that's really interesting. So how much has that early learning? Well, first of all, I guess how much did that help you understand technical analysis or understand? I guess even more importantly, the context of technical analysis because I think that's what most people miss. Right? Is that it's yeah. telling you a story, like you said. It, it's showing you the emotions of the traders. It's showing you the psychology. Mm -hmm. So how much did that help you when you learn technical analysis? And then I would say after that, how much did having that understanding of volume and the way that market makers behave and whales and all mm. these things, how much does that help you in your crypto trading? Because this is a purely trader's market, right? I mean, yeah. that, that's what we're looking at here, really. So I'll, I'll take the second part of that question first. Uh, just what maybe most directly translates is you take like an order book. Um, and so there's the concept of like a prop bid that I, that I discovered in OTC, a prop bid and kind of um, like a loading wall. So a loading wall might be where somebody really wants to load under some number, we'll call it X. So they'll place like a massive sell order um, at that level to kind of discourage buyers to kind of which is illegal, <laughs> <laughs> which is illegal. But a lot, what, you know, a lot of things are yeah. a lot, yeah. lot of things yeah. are illegal. It doesn't yeah. I mean? Yeah, I'm just putting it, it out there for people exactly. who might not know that that it's actually ah, in the legacy enough. market. It's illegal to uh, place a bid or ask you don't mm. intend to fill. <laughs> mm. Yeah, sure. Continue. So that, but that you make a great point, and that kind of leads to the questions: What is the fidelity of the information? What is the what is the the the, the true value of the information we're seeing? Is it a real bid? Is it is real ask. So. Um, you have the prop bids where someone, you know, somebody wants to dump so that, so they have a very large buy order in and then you, and so it kind of creates like a basement, a floor, you know, and, and if you think about that, that's interesting. Um, you know, we study classical charting. If you think about like how a descending triangle forms, it forms because you have like a massive prop bid. You have buyers who say it's not going to go below this level. And every time it bounces, it bounces to a lower high. And that's like the descending triangle forming. So that's interesting. If you take like the, the order book and see how it plays out kind of in like a chart pattern. Right. Um, but kind of to get back to, your, to the earlier part of that question, it's the psychology, understanding the, understanding the momentum that, that explains the technical analysis. It's hand in glove. You can't really, it's, you know, it's like uh, on Twitter, you, you know, I'm, you're probably quite adept at looking at the social sentiment and using that to guide your thinking and guide to, sh to kind of uh, color your own technical analysis. So you kind of have to use the two together. Right. And I think that um, that's what's missed by most people who simply look at a chart and draw a line is not understanding that underlying context. Because it's funny, I think everyone who comes into crypto, especially if they're a new trader only in crypto, their mm. first instinct when they see a sell wall mm. is bearish. Mm. Right. Or they see a mm -hmm. buy wall and they're like, oh my God, somebody's filling up. I got to buy. Right. right. And it's actually the opposite. I've explained this, right. I feel like a thousand times to people, but like a yeah. huge sell wall usually means someone's buying. They're not, if they wanted to sell, they'd be doing it in smaller increments. They wouldn't right. just put this That's massive right. sell order there and, and yeah. let you buy into it. So I think that, uh, like you said, kind of combining those things uh, is what probably gives you an edge. In, in this market is having that understanding because anyone can draw lines. You right. know, it's also, I guess, to, to that end, it's a, a lot of times people draw a pattern that exists but isn't actually valid because it's at a bottom rather than a top or something like mm, that. They don't mm. really 
understand that. So uh, it's just really always interesting to me to understand how other people sort of approach that. Well, doesn't that, that's the problem. It can get, it can get overly academic, right? You can get overly kind of hung up in the, like the rules of something and kind of miss the feeling, the essence, the direction, the drive of, of the trend and kind of what's going on. That's funny because I'm just remembering that that's how we met. You and I yes. had like a debate over the validity of an evening star or something because <laughs> in crypto, there's no gaps and in traditional markets, there are gaps. And we yeah. kind of, I mean, it, you know, it, remember, it was yeah. not contentious. We had a, a conversation about it and we emerged yeah. as friends. Imagine that happening on Twitter, by the way. I know it was, it was, uh, could have gone either way, huh? <laughs> generally, I try to uh, keep it generally uh, pretty peaceful in my debates there. But yeah, yeah. so, so you started uh, trading crypto in 2017 and, yes. and I've heard you talk about another major life event. And I sort of uh, touched on it that you've had strange timing in your life. Yeah. Um, that's when you were diagnosed with cancer, correct? Yeah. I appreciate you mentioning that. Yeah. So it was, in, it, it was really kind of one and the same for me, the Bitcoin run to 20 K and kind of that alt season, like I was diagnosed with cancer in November of 17. So what was that? Was probably, I think it was just before it went to 20K. Was yeah, it but it was of, still well into the bull run. Yeah. Well into the bull run. So while, you know, I remember um, that Thanksgiving, I remember buying Litecoin on my uh, like Coinbase app at like 70 bucks. And it felt like the steal of a century later. And, you know, there was so much momentum. Litecoin was massive, really popular then too, Crazy. obviously. So, so, um, Diagnosed with cancer and in the midst of the Bitcoin bull run. And I'm go as I'm going through chemotherapy, you know, I, I'm, I'm able to distract myself from my own troubles, my own misery, uh, from my own challenges because of crypto. I had, I, I live tweeted, I live blogged a lot, a lot of what I was going through and I got a crazy outpouring of support from people who didn't even really know me. And it just gave me a sense of purpose um, that, I, you know, like the fact that I could still put out charts and do something and make a difference and be involved and be a part of it was just so important for me uh, as I was going through that. Um, you know, I remember, I mean, I, I created on my, on my blog, the complete beginner's guide to cryptocurrency trading. It was like, I did it over like a week. And the, and the fact that I gave myself that project and I could focus energy on it, you know, I could, I could put some heart into it or something to kind of hold on to. Crypto Twitter was something for me to hold on to. Uh, as I was fighting for my life. And uh, I, I started writing a book about it in March and, and I just published it uh, a week later. Which a is, week, a week ago, a week yeah, ago. Yeah, a week ago. <laughs> uh, hey, you wrote that book really fast. Yeah, my wish, Jesus. Uh, productive guy. Um, so it's interesting, I'm thinking about it. That was the end of 2017. There was yeah. crazy FOMO. Like it was a very, crypto Twitter at that time was a very positive environment, right? Yes. In a very good place, but you were, battling, but, but you were battling cancer through 2018 too, which was probably yes. the most toxic time on the internet and the crypto community in history. So what was it like navigating it when things sort of turned and you were going through this obviously like challenging life event? Well, I had really good momentum in life. I was lucky. So I completed treatment. I completed chemotherapy in March. And then by the end of June, I was done with the radiation. And I, I had really good momentum kind of in my professional life. And with crypto Twitter, I, I did CNBC Africa crypto tra uh, trader program with Ren Nooner. And that kind of gave me really nice visibility. Um, I became a founding analyst at Bitcoin Live in June, which is a great project I'm honored to be involved in. Um, and then so kind of I had all these really nice things going on. And my life was progressing. It was rebuilding. Uh, it, was, it was going really, really strong. Um, I would say until kind of like later in that fall when my mom was diagnosed with cancer. And that's when kind of reality came back and reminded me that, that I, you know, I wasn't as smart as I thought it was. So you went from effectively being a patient to a caregiver. I was a patient and a caregiver. I saw it from the other side. I understood what my, my family was going through. Um, like there's a, there's a story early on when I'm, when I'm in the doctor's office getting my own, diagnose, my own uh, diagnosis. You know, they're saying, the guy's saying to me, you have cancer. You know, he hands me a box of tissues and it, I wasn't crying. I was like thinking, that's weird. Why are you handing me a box of tissues? And I look behind me and my wife is completely, her whole face is covered in tears. And I realized there's other people going through this and not just me, you know, and I had to be strong for them. And then now I'm on the other side of that, you know, and I realized what it was life for them, like for them to think about losing me, for them to think about me losing my battle, kind of as I had to think about those things with my mom, you know, as I became her caregiver. Um, and like thinking that after, since just because I beat cancer, thinking that I knew what I was doing, that I was smarter than cancer. And I found out that I didn't know anything. 
Right. I mean, wow. (laughs) (laughs) I'm rarely speechless, but uh, that definitely definitely got me there. And what strikes me, you know, I've known a lot of people who have battled cancer successfully, unsuccessfully, um, and with varying degrees of positivity and negativity. I've never heard somebody, when asked about their cancer, say how much positive momentum they had when they were fighting it. So I have to ask you, yeah. how did you maintain, were you always this positive or was it like something that you had to force because you were like, I'm going to be positive through this for myself and other people. Where do you get that yeah. mantra and that positivity? Where's that come from? Because I think it's very yeah. rare. Well, I'm just, I, I just recognize I'm really lucky uh, who I am, the kind of life I was born into. I'm give, I was just given opportunities. Other people weren't. Um, you know, when I was younger, I made mistakes. I probably got forgiven for them. Like I just had, I've just had a good, I've been dealt a good hand. So I, I, I keep that in mind. Uh, when I was diagnosed, I knew I was at a really good hospital and I was half the age of, um, so the median age for my cancer was 80 and I was diagnosed at 39 and I was in some of the best shape of my life at that time. And I had like super high grade marijuana and I knew I was going to go crazy with it. And I did. So I had all this. Uh, I just had all these things, these reasons to believe uh, that I would beat it. Um, and I've always been positive anyway. I just, I don't know. I just, I look at, I just look at all the scenarios and I, I try to find, okay, that, well then this could happen. Then I'm always been positive thinking. Um, and like I said, I was, I was, I was set up to be lucky. I was lucky. I had good treatment. I worked hard. Um, and that's, that's why I wanted to share that. That's like the book too. I wanted to share with other people kind of because I was able to not let it completely destroy me emotionally. I was still able to hang in there and draw lessons from it and kind of build upon it. And I, I I was able to, it was kind of, it's amazing, but it it happened. It almost sounds like you had a more difficult time with your mom having cancer than you having it yourself. Yeah, that's fuck. That's I've still, I've still let my life. I still haven't figured it out. That kind of, that kind of broke me. That, that broke me. Um, and, uh, I mean, you'll see it in the book. I talk about it. You could just, you just, you get it. Um, so I'm still trying to figure that part out to be honest. So, so that, that general positivity that you have, I guess your approach to life, the way yeah. you tackled cancer, how much does that affect help hurt your trading? Oh, or does it at all? Uh, you uh, know? I play a lot of, I mean, I, I'm very eyes wide open about trading. Um, I did a lot of poker grinding. I played six tables at a time, you know, hundred thousand hands in a month or whatever. I understand you have to run, you have to run it a bunch of times. It's all about probabilities, you know? And uh, I understand that you need to manage your bankroll. So I don't, I don't come in expecting them to win. If anything, I kind of expect like I'm going to get screwed somehow by like the market makers or whatever. So I'm a little more cautious. I'm very cautious. So uh, I would think it's almost like the opposite of that. I'm not as, you know, I don't just come in positive thinking. What I'm positive thinking about is that my ability to learn, keep learning and to um, get, put myself on the right mind frames that I can hopefully just get a clean read. You know, I want to get a clean read on something. I want to look at it. You know, I want to trust my muscle memory, you know, of, of the price action. So that's kind of what, how I think that factors in. Yeah. I mean, I always sort of preach it's important to be in like a proper mental state whenever you sit down to trade. Yeah. Uh, will you actively trade if you're like in a bad mood or pissed off about something or, you know, something's not going right? I mean, will you trade basically under any circumstances and I guess be confident that you can put yourself in the proper mindset to make good decisions? I, look, there's a, there's what I think I should do and there's what I do. I'm human. I haven't mastered my own emotions. Do as I say, not as I do, right? <laughs> that's, I mean, that's, that's the rule to, to falling sheds. Um, you know, and then if I've had a couple drinks, I'm hanging out and, uh, I get excited by a pump, you know, I'm excited, but sometimes you get excited to get caught up in the moment. So I'm, I am human. Everything I teach are, they're all mistakes I've made. That's so I know it. I believe it. Like I've been, I've made all those, I've made these mistakes many times I, you know, probably keep making plenty of them. And that's why. I'm yelling out, don't do this, don't do that. You know, you, I mean, you know what I'm talking about. I do the exact same thing. I mean, half the reason, the reason I really even started talking on Twitter was because like, it was so clear 
how much bad information there was, how immature, young, particularly, I guess, crypto traders were. They had Mm. that rare, like, get rich mentality, I Mm. guess, in some of them coming from other countries where this was their only shot. And I think that Mm. they just, you know, really were being fed a lot of pump and dump and sort of a lot of garbage. And I always, literally the same message was like, learn from my own past mistakes, please. But yeah. the problem I've come across, I think that like you'll find the one in a hundred people who can really learn trading by reading about it and listening to people. Mm-hmm. But I find that the other 99 or so, you know, emotionally attached to their positions or being right or being wrong, or that's really all the money they have in the world. So they can't separate it. Mm. And so they have to almost learn by losing the same way that we both did because my story is much like yours. I've gotten yeah. absolutely destroyed many times in the past. You know, don't you have to, man? I don't know anybody. I don't. Can anybody learn without? I just. I. I don't even believe anyone can. You say one out of a hundred. You got to. I mean, you have to understand. You can't. You can't just read a book and play. I don't. know, Maybe for like a, a machine or yeah. an Android. I don't know, man. But yeah, I totally agree with you. And you also touched on the fact, something that I, I love talking about, how similar poker is and how many guys mm. came over from poker to uh, crypto yeah. trading in particular. Because, yeah. I mean, you can go from poker to trading stocks, I guess, but like poker yeah. doesn't give you the uh, ability to do the fundamental analysis that you need to understand what you're trading in the stock market if you're truly trading mm. stocks. But when you come to a market as technical as crypto, it's really mm. about as you touched on earlier, I mean, it's about managing your portfolio. It's managing Mm -hmm. risk, right? So Mm -hmm. I guess, I mean, I know to me, risk management matters a lot more than charting or any of those things, but how how Mm -hmm. do you teach risk management and how important Mm -hmm. is it to you, the way that you manage a position, your, you know, position sizing, all those things. So just the basics, I mean, nothing revolutionary. If you take a direct kind of a correlation from poker, you take like, um, like a tournament strategy, a bankroll tournament strategy. You don't want to put, and more than 5% of your bankroll in any place. That's what I teach. You should do that with crypto trading, no more than 5% of your bankroll. So that's number one. That's kind of the total position size, but you also need to factor in how you're entering that position. So you, I don't necessarily believe in just going with one bullet because if you fire all in one bullet, uh, the price drops, you'd be tempted to average down. Now you're averaging down on a loser, which is something you want to avoid anyway. So you want to scale in, Obviously, you want to scale out. Uh, the ideal scenario, uh, you can't always do it, but if you get up to 100% on your position, you sell half, you can ride free. You want to get to a right. point where you're riding free um, and locking in profits. So uh, I approach the trade by waiting for a very low ball entry. I want a low ball entry. I don't want to chase. I want to buy the blood. I want to sell the greed. None of this is revolutionary. Uh, but these are all kind of basic, kind of user, universally accepted uh, kind of risk management strategies. It's not revolutionary, but it's the antithesis of what your emotions tell you to do when yeah. the time comes. It's like yeah. the classic, like Bitcoin's 10 grand. I want it to be, you know, 7,000 so I can buy. And then it comes yeah. 7,000. Everyone's like, oh shit, you don't it's want dropping. It. I want 5,000 I want 3,000 and then that's you it. never buy. And that's, and then you buy it 12,000. Right? That's so hard. It's so, that's so true. And it's so hard to counteract that even if you know it's coming. Um, even if you and I have this conversation and then it goes to 7K, we'll still kind of be like, well, I'm not sure. It might test 5K. You know, it's like of it's course. so hard. It's so hard to, uh, to do that, which I, would, I guess I would say you have to step back and, and have faith in your ability to look at a weekly chart. Uh, have, your, have your faith in the ability to look at a three-day three chart, zoom out, understand the trend, understand that, that, that what we're looking at is kind of an intermediate move within a trend. It's a corrective move from an oversold or an overbought position. Um, it's just kind of a return to the median, right? It, you know, so you got to step, you got to be have your trust in your ability to step back, but also I think your ability to understand social media and understand the psychology of the market as expressed through social media, which I think is, is pretty valuable. I, I agree. And also it sort of touches on the fact that you have to identify what kind of trader you're can, you're going to be because you can't mm-hmm. like, you can't mm-hmm. be scalping a hundred X on BitMEX, but also checking mm-hmm. the weekly chart because mm-hmm. you know, you lose everything before you get that chance. So when you're talking about zooming out to the weekly chart, you're really talking about big swing trades with a lot of room, you mm-hmm. know, between your stop and your entry. How do you generally approach or, or view yourself as a trader, longer term strategies, larger timeframes, or do you, get in there and degenerate out like, uh, like, yeah. 
Well, I don't go, I don't go ultra uh, time frame. I definitely do flipping based on, I do leverage trading, let's say based on like a one hour chart. Right. Um, and I may try to pick my entry based on 15 minutes or something like that. But I really try not to go too low on that time frame. I have kind of longer term, just hodl positions, which I put into a, a, like a cold wallet. So I can't trade it. Um, so I kind of force myself to have kind of a hodl position and the money, the monies I'm trading um, more often just looking for kind of quick hits. Um, I don't really like to hold overnight. I'm not saying that's the best thing to do, but I like to kind of be fresh with, with my money. And, um, you know, I don't always trust like my alert systems or my stops, my um, orders to trigger, the, you know, this and that. Like I want to, if I'm in a position, I want to be managing it. Um, and I'm probably using like a one hour chart. I gotcha. And what, so, I mean, I, I've obviously followed you for a long time. I know that you're a uh, Japanese candlestick maximalist for sure, but yeah. are there specific patterns or, or candles that you are looking for that fit your system that you're consistently going to trade every time? So there's a couple things. So, you, I mean, using, so I would say I, I definitely also like, uh, like moving averages and especially the eight EMA exponential moving average. And I use that, uh, like, in, an, like a, in a clearly defined uptrend, like almost every kind of pullback will hit the 8 EMA. So I use that a lot to kind of buy the dip in an uptrend. So that's a nice little trade. Uh, but if I'm using candlesticks, generally speaking, I, I um, use the concept of the best, um, the best entry coming from the retest of the support. So your, the, your best entry isn't on the hammer candle when it's closed. Your, your best entry, it's kind of after the price has been rejected a few days later and it's come back and it's revisiting kind of the lower part of that shadow, the lower the middle part of that shadow. So I kind of look for retests uh, of candle signals. Um, if I'm shorting, I'm looking for weakness. I'm looking for, you know, all of a sudden you have these big green candlesticks, all of a sudden you get, get some spinning tops and then a doji. I'm kind of looking for the, you know, the force kind of uh, slowing down. Um, but I also like to use uh, classical charting, Western TA, like symmetrical triangles are great for continuation, just using trend lines in general uh, and the accompanying volume, volume on a break, kind of understanding kind of like how, how, how to draw the line, how many points you need and, and kind of how much you should use. It's kind of blending that as well. Uh, if I'm looking for like a continuation play, um, you know, definitely like, you know, you can look at like um, when you know it's bearish, you know, a bear flag, a clearly defined bear flag, bear pennant gives you a great opportunity right. to kind of get like a little, a little move there. So, yeah. So I, I mean, I'm very similar in my approach as you know, obviously, but yeah. how much do indicators play into your strategy, if at all? Well, it's almost like I, I, I yeah, that's a good question. How much do they play? And they play, they play a part. I wouldn't say a major part uh, on balance volume is important for me. I look, it tells me kind of the strength, kind of this, this, if people are loading or if they're dumping. And of course I use RSI just to, for the general oversold overbought condition. Um, and yeah, obviously we've talked about divergences hidden mm -hmm. and regular and all that. So I think, I think they factor in, but sometimes I just look at the candles. And um, so I've been trying to use them less because I really want to focus on the price action, but I don't, I try not to ignore them as well. Right. So basically they're confluence for an idea that you're already seeing on the chart. Yeah. I use them exactly as a better way to put it. I kind of use it to confirm what I think is going on. Yeah. Um, I mean, RSI is great in that regard. Like if it's yeah. overbought on the daily, it's time to start theoretically looking for potential yeah. shorts or something um, like that. Unless and, it's like one of those crazy runs, which is right. so rare, but, right. but that's a great point. Yeah. Like uh, I think we, I don't know. I don't, I don't remember, remember when it was maybe a, a month ago, I noticed other people noticed like the RSI and the daily had been in the power zone for the first time. Yeah. Back at the end of April, right? Yeah. For a long time, long yeah. time. And uh, you know, we pushed a little higher from there. Uh, so that just tells you how you got to be careful with it. It's usually, it's usually like the second dip, you know, you ever notice you get, you, you need that like double top in the RSI. It's not the first push. Yeah. But, that's where you get the, the divergence generally. So that makes yeah. sense. Kind of that second peak, second peak or second bottom too. It's always the second right. RSI bottom. Yeah, that's interesting. As you know, that's definitely uh, one of my favorite strategies. But again, it's really confluence, same as you're saying for for what you're seeing on the chart. So yeah, I followed what you do. You do really nice stuff. I'm happy. I'm happy to say that. I think you're one of those. The, you put out really good uh, amount of content, and it's clean. It's it's simple, and you're pretty straightforward. Especially when we're we're kind of in the middle of uh, a bottom forming. You know, here we go. One hour RSI. This could happen. This this might not. Yeah. Happen. I yeah. think that that's a nice way to do it. 
Don't be a part of the 7.1 million Bitcoiners in the United States who have Bitcoin and a retirement account, but don't have Bitcoin in their retirement account. Seriously, you can hold Bitcoin in your retirement account and not just GBTC. How can you do this? Through a self-directed choice IRA by Kingdom Trust. The first thousand users to open a choice IRA will receive $62.50 in free Bitcoin. Visit retirewithchoice.com slash wolf. That's R-E-T-I-R-E-W-I-T-H-C-H-O-I-C-E dot C-O-M slash W-O-L-F. Podcast listeners receive extra points to move up the wait list and get their choice IRA first. Do it right now. It's time to take control of your financial future and free yourself from the restrictions of classic retirement accounts. Are you sick of paying ridiculous fees to trade crypto? It's time you try Voyager. It's hands down my favorite place to buy and trade crypto, and it's 100% commission free. Voyager gives you easy access to more than 30 top crypto assets, and you can instantly transfer cash from your bank account so you never miss a trading opportunity. Even better, you can now automatically earn interest on your crypto holdings. Currently, they're offering 5% interest on Bitcoin and 6% on USDC. Yes, you heard that correctly, 6%. And there are no limits or lockups, which means your funds always stay liquid. Find out why so many people are making the switch to Voyager. Visit investvoyager.com or search for Voyager on the iTunes or Google Play Store and get $25 in free Bitcoin when you use the promo code SCOTT25. That's investvoyager.com, promo code SCOTT25 for $25 in free Bitcoin and start trading today. Yeah, I mean, I I hope so. You know, you want to kind of allow people to interpret it, I guess, in their own yes. manner and not force yes. feed it so they don't blame you for their uh, bad right. decisions. <laughs> <laughs> well, they'll blame you anyway. Yeah, they, they will, which is a really uh, incredible, I guess, human instinct and one that's yeah. so problematic for traders and new traders because like, if there's any lesson people should learn is that no matter what, you are 100% accountable for your financial decisions. That's it, man. It's like, it's, it's tempting to buy. It's tempting. Look, and I guess. So when I first started trading, I understand that like a new trader, they want that silver bullet. They want to know who do I need to follow to tell me to buy and sell. It's like, that's such a, resist that. It's like, don't take the cocaine. Don't, don't take that. Don't do that. Don't look for someone to tell you, you know, you, it has to come from you. You have to understand it. It's your money. No one else, give, no one else cares about your money. They're not going to you know, take care of you. Like you got to watch out for yourself. Yeah, and they don't suffer the consequences of. Uh, they don't. You know, they might be telling you. They might not be trading it. You don't know if they already exited it. I mean, it's just Im- impossible to really copy someone else's trading. I I try to tell people to avoid it. Yeah. So much, and that's why I don't even understand really copy trading services. I guess if it's mm. automated, then it right. can make some yeah, sense. That is interesting. I think that's that's a feature that I think is uh, should be fleshed out. There may be some value in that, but certainly not based on uh, like Twitter. Like. You, they're not going to tell you when they're exiting their position. They're not going to tell you when they're taking profit. They're not going to like, it's, they don't owe you anything. You right. know what I mean? So definitely uh, I feel bad for people to do that, but I understand that they kind of, they want that easy solution. Right. So you've been passionate about crypto for, you know, three, four years now. Yeah. Um, you like me came in as a trader. I can yeah. say that to some degree I have drank the Kool-Aid yeah. on you know, Bitcoin as a deflationary asset and a hedge against, you know, hyperinflation and and governments and things like that. Have you drank the Kool-Aid at all? Or do you still view it sort of from a strictly from a trading perspective, which by the way, is still 80, you know, 80, 90% of me is just, I want to trade this stuff and make money. I had a lot of thoughts when you said that. So uh, for me, everything other than Bitcoin is just, it's just lines in a chart. Same. Um, Um, I believe in Bitcoin because I don't I mean I'm not like a an FA guy, but I understand that there's a finite supply. I understand that the uh, the security of the blockchain, the ledger, there's value in that. Uh, I understand you know paperless money. I get there's a lot of good reasons, um, and, and I'm I'm also fresh faced. I'm wide eyed rather about the downsides. Uh, look, we just had that dump uh, where like BitMEX was the 8800. Like all these different exchanges are at different prices. So how can like there needs to be more continuity. Uh, and the price structure. So I understand that there's, there's fragility, there's, there's downsides to it. Um, but it's, but it's gotta be the future, right? It's gotta be, it just feels like it's not going anywhere. I mean, that's kind of where I land on that. 
I definitely think that it's been incredibly resilient. Um, and especially in the past few months, I mean, you know, everyone was calling for zero on March yeah. 12th, obviously. Right, right. <laughs> uh, the, the 50%, 60% drop in a day. Yeah. But I mean, it's, it's a back above where it dumped from. So, Isn't I mean, that what makes it fun, though? Yeah, Isn't that, that is. kind of action what makes is. it fun? Yeah. And, I mean, it's a trader's wet dream. I always say yeah. that. I mean, a trader yeah. just wants volatility, especially yeah. if they're directionally agnostic. It's the thing is, mm. like, when you get, passionate about the asset that you're trading, mm-hmm. it's actually really bad for your trading, right? Because mm. you become emotionally attached. But I do the same thing as you, which is that I have the bulk of my stack in cold storage and I can be passionate emotionally, I guess, about that yeah. <laughs> in the use case. But when I'm trading, it's like, you know, as Doyle Brunson, like in Super System, you know, you view it as units instead of money when you're yes. playing. Yes. So. And it, well, it, it's easier to do that when you don't need it to pay rent. It's the ability to separate uh, if you can think about it that way. You know, and not think about it like a hundred bucks that you need to pay your, your uh, light bill. That's an interesting thing is because people always ask like, what does it take to be a professional trader? Whatever that mm-hmm. means. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And that means you have to be able to pay your light bill. And then that, yes. I think inherently starts to give you a certain emotional attachment. Like I found huge problems when I switched from being like, it was my hobby to saying this is going to be my job and I'm going to do it. Where yeah. I felt like I was like, I need to make my quota this week. You know, and it's mm-hmm. impossible. I found very quickly it's impossible to do that because you take terrible trades, you push when the market's yes. optimal. So, like, you know, making the transition to a professional trader adds a whole other element of emotion, in my opinion. I don't know if you've found that, and I've been able to eliminate it because I identified it very fast. Yep. But if you have to pay your bills in it, especially if you're a crypto trader and you're passionate about Bitcoin, that means you have to sell Bitcoin. So, yeah, I mean, so that's that's the challenge when no one's going to kind of run things for you. Uh, you're the one who's in charge. Um, I think you have to not look at like a weekly total, maybe like a monthly total. You have to give yourself a little more room for error. I mean, I understood that. I tried to make it as a poker player uh, a couple decades ago, online uh, grinding. And I like I did okay, but um, I kind of realized, you know, today might not, not be so good or I might have a bad week. So uh, you have to recognize that, that you might have a bad week. So you can't, you know, I can't make this much every week, but maybe every month. Uh, and then perhaps if you can use it to uh, fuel yourself to, to, to be less risky. So to put more systems in place, you put systems in place. That's what you have to do. You have to manage, you have to succeed in spite of yourself, right? You have to put in, uh, like we were talking about um, jumping into a trade, uh, go do 20 push-ups before every trade. If you, think you're, if you think you're ready to hit that buy button, go do those push-ups, look at the chart again, and make sure you really want to do it. Like, do these little things to kind Such of- Such good advice. Yeah. You know, I'm telling you, man, how many bad trades would you skip if you did that? Probably at least a third of them, right? Yeah, and especially uh, for beginners, because even if you have your quote-unquote system in place, that, that goes out the window when, you're, when you see your yes. stop approaching and you move it down. <laughs> that's it oh I, i've been there <laughs> right we, i mean we've all been there i don't do yeah. it anymore but like yeah. oh because uh it's just my just stop a little my, more. my stop a little is right more. in the liquidity they're gonna just bounce it right off my stop as if yeah. like you're the one who the whales are trying to hunt individually yeah. right um and and you actually touched on something similar to that earlier which is that you were talking about when a trader continues to average down mm. into a position and i mm-hmm. it's like Averaging down is for investors. <laughs> that's a good call. Yeah, you can you can scale into a position if that's what your plan was. But if you're exactly. like if you're fully into a position and you're adding yeah. to it, then you need. I mean, you should literally. There's no time you should ever do that. Now, if you're half full and you're averaging down, that that was part of your plan, right? Right. Well, you know what? Look, if that's what you raise a great point, and what you can do there. Let's say. You, you, you don't think you can completely eliminate that? Well, create a rule where you only average down once. Dude, just do something. Do something to, to curtail that, obviously, that obvious bad behavior. Um, so, but you've raised a big difference between scaling in and averaging down. Like you said, scaling in, you plan to enter here and then enter at support and then blah, blah, blah. So um, that's the way to do it. But if, if you average down, okay, fine, do it once. Yeah. Right? I, Some, I definitely, something. yeah, I definitely found uh, when I learned to scale in and scale out that that was a really big help with. Um, yeah the emotions of trading because yeah. like the reason that people chase, you know, these two X, three X things is because like they're afraid they're going to miss out. But if you just mm. sell, you know, 
20% five times on the way up, you, if that does happen, you're still going to make a ton of money on that last 20%, but at least you're not going to be the idiot who turned a winner into a loser and fires your stop loss when you could have taken a, a 50% gain or something. Plus every decision's easier after you've lessened your position. Every decision you make is easier after you've taken a little profit or, you know, whatever scaled out. That's so true. So true. So, um, it, did I read right at some point that you're actually taking the classical charting course? Yes, I'm taking, I signed up for CMT level one. I have the book here. I don't even know uh, what it is. Can you tell me about it? I'm uh, curious. I mean, I did a, I did a podcast with Crypto Burb and he mentioned he was doing it and I was like, all right, cool. Sounds fun. Um, it is, so CMT, uh, Chartered Market Technician, is a bunch of guys on, on Twitter with the CMT. I guess there's three levels, you know, like sommelier, there's levels, there's, you know, I guess there's a few levels to this. Um, I haven't per se started studying, but I've been reading a book on classical charting. You've probably seen me tweet it uh, by Shaw Backer. So I'm yeah. almost done with that. And then I'm going to start in this book. And basically, I'm going to have to learn the basics of everything. I'm going to have to learn the basics of, of Elliott waves. All, you know, I've been making fun of them. Now I can learn about them. Um, you know, learn the basics. And you'll be able to make fun of them more. I'll be able to make fun of them more or make fun of myself, you know, for uh, X, Y, and Z. But uh, so it's, I guess it is, I don't know what I can do with it other than say I did it, but I want to learn. It's, 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 um, it's a structure that's going to force me to learn it because I have the exam in uh, December. I'm going to have to learn it. I'm just going to do it. Once I decide to do it, I'm sure you're the same way. Once I decide to do it, I'm going to do it. Oh yeah. And I've done it. I have the book. Okay. So now I'm going to do it. And I just published uh, my book, my memoir, and I, I am ready for a project. So this is kind of, kind of be the project for the next six months. Um, because I, I, I'm, I'm working on my next book that I'm going to publish, kind of a trading book, which will be awesome. uh, looking at kind of a case study on Eastern TA, Western TA, and trading psychology. Oh, that sounds really, really interesting. That, that's awesome. Um, so I'm not one for like uh, huge price predictions or anything like that. I don't yeah. really care. Bitcoin, 40K, 100K. I'm yeah. more like interested in I guess what Bitcoin's role will be and where it will fit in the future. I, I mean, I, I, I've probably discussed this ad nauseum on the podcast and, and beyond, but if ever there was a time for the Bitcoin case to somebody to somewhat um, gain some traction with the public, yeah, it's now, right? So uh, where do you see Bitcoin fitting uh, infinite money printing and, and QE mm -hmm. and all the absurdities that we see around the world? And uh, I mean, things seemingly de de dropping, you know, into mm. descending into chaos, you know, where, where does Bitcoin fit? So there's a lot, it's interesting there. It's clearly leading things. It's leading the market. It's leading other nations to develop their own digital currencies. Uh, it's leading Facebook to try to come up with Libra. So Bitcoin is, um, uh, is forcing other entities to kind of try to mimic it. So that, that's a, that's a point in its favor that shows that it has something going on. Um, kind of on the other hand, it's it's interesting that back at that March crash, and with the Fed printing money, the bazooka or the helicopter money, whatever you whatever you call it, and I'll I'll be the first to admit I suck at FA. So if I say something stupid, you're probably right. Uh, back then, with all that that printing of the money, why why didn't Bitcoin go to 30k or why didn't it go to 20k? So. Uh, that's the the reason why people are buying it as a hedge. But the problem is our, our kind of financial system, from what, I, from what I understand, is broken and kind of these fundamental laws aren't really in play right now. Um, so, but I, th I don't know how long that can go on for. And I think everything's moving digital. And I think, I think Bitcoin uh, is just going to continue to grow as an ecosystem. And I think uh, other th people will have to adapt to Bitcoin. Other things will have to adapt to Bitcoin. That's kind of what I think. Yeah, I mean, you make a good point about all these other, I mean, the world is going digital, obviously, but it, yeah. Bitcoin has clearly paved the way for the decisions. I mean, they're digital euro. I saw that France was just successfully tested the digital euro. Obviously, mm. we know that China is is going digital and then you have things like Libra. So, I mean, that is interesting. And then I guess it touches on whether, you know, Bitcoin will, will survive all of that competition. Uh, um, I mean, come on. What do you mean? I think is that it will. even a question? I think if, it will. if the people survive, if Bitcoin survives, is Bitcoin is is the people's currency. Uh, right? That's a perfect way to uh, describe it. It's not going anywhere. And sorry, Ripple, it's not gonna Ripple's not gonna replace it. Like, you know, it's just Bitcoin's not going anywhere. And uh, most people still don't know about it. 
So uh, will it have competition? Yeah, but competition's good. Yeah, I agree with that. And it's interesting. You say most people don't know about it, and I think that's obviously true. The thing yeah. that I, the thing that bothers me, that it won't matter in the future, but all of those people who finally did hear about it and get excited about it in 2017 yeah. and 2018, yeah, uh, absolutely rinsed and probably yeah. will never touch it again because it left such a bad taste in their mouth. I wonder how mm. much that'll uh, play. Yeah, into. I think it's t- right. It's like um, uh, you can't pull all the fish out of a pond. Right. right? Um, and uh, Big Chonis and I have often in our fireside chats, you know, when we're kind of talking about if there's a new run, it's like you need a, a new a round of new round of retail money. And where's that coming from? Um, and media hype helped last time. Uh, there's a little there's some elements of that, but this, we're seeing kind of a different um, play now, probably institutional money. I, I think we would agree is kind of is coming in and we're seeing some evidence of that. Yeah. Grayscale, um, I mean, is buying every Bitcoin on the planet. Seems, right. So. Yeah, man. So I think that's actually that's like the that's the kind of that's, you know, don't bury the lead, you know, on that right. one. Um, and retail will follow. I mean, they, they're following the shiny. It's, that's a shiny object thing. They'll follow whatever the shiny object is. But uh, I think more and more people will discover Bitcoin either through people, you know, talking about it, you know, or the media. But um, the institutional money is the big story, I think. Yeah, I guess we can count on retail, no matter how bad of a taste they have in their mouth, to emotionally FOMO in at the uh, last moment, no matter 100%. what. You, need, so, you, you yeah. need someone to buy the top, and it's going to be those that's same it. people who uh, lost the first time that finally do it the, the second time, sadly. <laughs> well, um, people, it's, so, it's kind of cliche, but people say, uh, you know, every, for every buyer, there's a seller. I mean, it's so cliche. I want to throw up, but uh, it's true. And um, how do you, how do you form a blow off top? Right. You know, without chasers, without, you know, FOMO buyers, how does it happen? It doesn't. Yeah, it really doesn't. So I have a question, I guess. Um, So you were on Twitter, obviously as a trader before you start talking about crypto, because you touched on seeing this increase in engagement. Um, So were you already anonymous (laughs) and what, uh, what led you to choose anonymity? So I started out with the nickname for my, for my good friends. They called me Cheds. Why? Uh, uh, when I was like 20, I was the only one with a job. And I oh, mean, cheddar. I, yeah. And I would just, I would buy everything. I took the, everybody to Montreal. I, I just, I was cheddar and I just stuck with me. And it also, be, I'm also kind of a goof. I'm a klutz. So it became like, oh, you Cheds, you know? So it's just, yeah. it's, you know, like anything, it changes. Um, and so, I, I built up from the, from the penny stock market, I built up to, to 10,000 followers doing, uh, it was just, I was just a newbie helper. I was the guy who told you to like, don't do this, don't do that. And, uh, you know, I was pretty good with some things and other things I wasn't, you know, I was growing, I was learning. And then crypto hit and I went, you know, 10K to 40K by April. Yeah, it's so, so fast. Yeah, I'm growing like, I, I grew like you're growing right now, man. It's crazy. Um, it's very crazy. So what, I guess. Oh, so why anonymous? So not yeah. yeah. Uh, safety, safety. Yeah. Um, but even before crypto, you felt that because most people I understand they come into crypto. There's that yeah. hacking risk, and you know, well, penny stock market is a f- is a wild west, and everybody they will cut you, man, and everyone's trying to take your money. And um, you know, I'm not going to go in the message boards with my real name. There's just snakes right in the grass. Um, so and then you know, I started to build a brand. And people are like, thanks, Cheds, blood, Cheds, Cheds. And so, you know, one thing led to another. That makes sense. Have you, so, but now like you're an author. I, that's, it's, I'm an author. And uh, so I'm publishing under my brand, I guess. I'm publishing yeah. Cheds. Uh, there were people in my life that really only gave a blessing on the book, knowing that I would, I would publish it anonymously. Because right. it's very detailed. And it's very like, Right. That makes sense. So, yeah. Have you seen like, is there any downside to being anonymous? Or is yeah, it all, people probably I just want to know personally because right? it seems like blue skies over there when I'm no, just beating no, over no. here. No, no, no. There's power in a face. There's power in a name because it's, you can maybe define your brand a little better. Uh, people, people, it's very easy for someone to say, oh, you have no accountability. You're just a, an avatar. You're just a name. Of course, there's doubt. You know, as you, as you know, of course, there's, the yin and the yang of it. Um, uh, I think maybe people are less likely to invite me on a podcast or whatever. So I've had to come up with my disguise, you know. Um, right. 
I mean, I don't think I'm a, I think I'm a pretty good looking guy, but I'm not like, you know, Don Juan, but like, it's, you know, so I, but I would prefer to be out there probably with my face or just talking to people. Cause you know who I am. You see my face, my expressions, maybe, I don't know. Um, but I'm working with, with kind of the facts on the ground right now, I guess. That makes sense. So I know that you uh, like are, I can just tell from chatting with you that we're similarly minded. I don't yeah. even want to say politically, just kind of with the, uh, general uh vibe of what's happening in the world and and where personal yeah. accountability i guess stands and, and you know quarantines and mm. and all this i mean what do you think about what's going on right now because to me it feels I'm, like I'm, it's I'm just as progressive. i'm a big yeah. fan of covid uh <laughs> uh I, I what i i have a psychology degree and i kind of look at i think about the hurting i'm not trying to sound sappy but i think about right. the um the mental challenges like because because america's was fragile to begin with and you see that you see that manifested with violence. You see that manifested with all these Karen videos and all that good stuff. Um, so we're just kind of, and we're not a country that takes care of ourselves because it's all about the individual and not the the group, the, the, the not the kind of community rather, not the group, and not about the community. So uh, I think all this, all that stuff's being exposed, and we have the rioting right now. And uh, obviously, there's been the new, the new Jim Crow, and there's been massive there's massive institutional racism. Uh, you know, implicit and, and, and all that good stuff. Uh, but I think it's all being wrapped into people are frustrated. They've been home. They've been quarantined. People need to want to get out. It's summer. Uh, it's kind of a perfect storm. Uh, and it's in an election year. And we have uh, kind of a, a divisive uh, president. Um, ma- uh, many of them are divisive and not just him, but he's clearly divisive. And so uh, it's not in my, in, 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 there's no real good, who are the leaders? No one knows who the good leaders are or the people they can trust because everyone lives in their own bubble. Um, and I reject, I reject that. I reject uh, party identification. Uh, I refuse to watch entertainment news, entertainment media. Uh, they want you angry so you can keep watching and they can sell ads. So um, there's a lot, I have a lot of thoughts about that, but really I just, people don't know who, who to trust and kind of who are the authorities, who are the moral authorities right now, man? I don't think there is one. It's just interesting to me to think, you know, like our grandparents went and fought, you know, in, in World yeah. War II for, for, for really for us, right? I mean, the yeah. idea was that they were fighting for the future of their country, for the community, for the idea. And this is where we are. Well, we can trace a lot of these things back. We can trace it back to wealth transfer. We can trace it back uh, to kind of gentrification and kind of like the changing demographics in the city and rural divide. A lot of these things are predictable in terms of where we are, where we are now. Um, uh, and, and counter, you know, and the power and divide uh, force of the tyranny or kind of of the, of the few uh, is, is hurt by the fact that we as people, you and I, we can just, we can communicate now on the internet, internet, like people are getting power right now and that's upsetting the apple cart and we're having to face, I mean, you look, if you look at um, just like wealth transfer, that's huge in terms of what that does. It's a society. You have uh, municipalities can't pay for the, for their policemen, their, their, their firemen, their post officers, their post officers, the post office workers. Yeah. And there's a ripple effect up and down. We're seeing decades of that. Um, and we're seeing decades of self-segregation with people uh, along kind of a political ideologies. Um, and then we're seeing all these things. And America is continuing to be a melting pot. It always has been. And we're seeing this new generation of people saying, like, go back to your country when they themselves are second, you know, first, second generation. So it's a, a lot, a lot of thought, a lot of thoughts in that stuff. You can keep sharing them because I find it really interesting. It's something that I love to talk about. I know that yeah. you and I both stand on the same side, I guess, of the mask debate, you know, which oh, is like, is there a debate? I there, mean, there is, I mean, but you know, like just wear one. It's not that hard. Like it's really that simple to me, but I can give you a good counter argument, even though I agree a hundred percent is that first the CDC said, don't wear one. Then they oh. say, so it's like, I, I get- understand why people think that way. Absolutely. Right. right. Yeah, I, I'm right. just saying it's rationally. Yes. I understand that we have a terrible dissemination of information from uh, authorities. I mean, the surgeon general of the United States literally said, you know, don't buy masks. They're for healthcare workers. What are you doing? Why are you wearing well, them in February? And then didn't, didn't he say, he, didn't he say Trump was more healthy than he is? Yeah. The Surgeon General. So. Yes, of course. Well, so you, you, all, you have to pay your reverence, obviously. Yeah. 
no government officials allowed to make a comment without first praising. Uh, I know you said you've been quarantining, but have you noticed? I feel like everybody's hot. Like all the all the women, they're hot. We just see their eyes. Like it's <laughs> it's. I'm telling you, because you leave. It's like leaving everything to the imagination. So I've it's, noticed that, and that's something that's interesting with masks, where I feel like you know, it's like, ooh, what does this person look like? Oh well, the the mystery. I get what you're yes, saying. Yeah, yeah, man. I but mean, like I know how said, hard? But how hard is it to stay six feet away from somebody and yeah. just put it on, just in case? Yeah. No, I I, I think it's because. But what it's does that tribal, say about our because we're right, tribal? But is, right, but how, what does that say about how little people truly care about one another? No, I. I don't, but is it is it because they don't care or because they think it's fake news and they're just ignorant or they're just whatever? We're tribal. It's it's you know it's how do I feel in this depends on what my favorite talking head says. Right, but things have always been polarized, I guess, and I yeah. think the divide is more uh, is dr- dramatized by obviously what we see on TV and stuff. I think that yeah. you're most people fall somewhere in the middle and can get along with anyone and it's yes. pretty cool. And, and, you know, and somebody sent me something today. I don't have the exact stats, so don't quote me, but it basically said that like 97% of the political comments on Twitter are made by less than like 5% or 10% <laughs> of the people. So it oh really is a loud minority to whatever yeah. degree, but that's the just, biggest point. That's a big point. You shouldn't gloss over. Um, it's just the loudest voices. Um, really that run the show. It, it really is. It's just, but like, I mean, I'll go around and wear like a third peg leg. If you tell me it might save someone's life, even yeah. if it looks no, ridiculous, I just it's don't true. care. You know what I mean? So like yeah. the, it goes back to the same thing we're talking about with trading. I think that yeah. there's this inherent need to be right. Mm, that's why it, you don't it, exit a loser. Cause you don't want to admit you. Right. It's like, especially when you compound that with having an actual trading community on Twitter, where like you publicly put something out there, you mm. never like when you were trading, well, you were actually trading penny stocks in the community, but for most people who came up as traders in the last 10, 20 years, it was a very individual pursuit, right? Mm. It's not like you had somebody watching you to make fun of you every time you made a mistake. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, we you know literally, if we post a chart, half the people who commented on it, I don't know about you, but they tell me how stupid I am. You know, it's funny, the best way I show, the best way, I love my mistakes because what I get to do is I quote tweet it and I say, oh my God, what a terrible play by me. Right. And then everyone's like, oh, so much integrity. Yeah. It's just, it's true. I made a mistake. Like, but did you even make a mistake? Because it's not like you. Ex- That's true. Ex- it's, yeah, yes, yeah. I hear what you're saying. You're yeah. owning the fact that you were quote unquote wrong. Exactly. But but saying you made a mistake, which is what people want from you, and same, I do the same thing. But it's implying that you thought you could actually tell the future in the first place. And it's implying that there is a a, a one zero, or there's a there's an on off, there's a there's a hundred percent signal. It's Correct. all like it's like aces versus twos. You yeah, don't you, you, still can, you can get cracked. You still lose. <laughs> So it's not like just because it broke out, it doesn't justify what came before it because that that's new information. And that's just a different, that's just thing that it just, it doesn't, there's no, there's never a hundred percent. It's never a hundred percent. Right. So with what we're seeing in the world and all this melting, I mean, how do we get back to a even reasonable or rational place? Or do you think that it's bread it and circus, happen? bread and circus, right? That's Explain. what we need. Well, that's just, it goes back to the Roman times, right? That's a, it's a common right. saying, bread and circus. Yeah. Uh, and that you keep, you keep the masses. The masses need to be, uh, they need to be pacified with entertainment. So bread, circus is the entertainment. For us, right. it's sports. Uh, it's, li- it's reality TV. Like, I think Americans need to be able to sit in their couch and watch uh, people insult each other on live TV who are in the same room. They love it. They'll watch it all day. They, we need sports. We need, you know, feats of athleticism and great comeback stories. We need these things to distract ourselves. And then we also, you know, that we're pretty good at food. The food supply chain held up uh, amidst all this. Um, the question is the ripple. Uh, we don't know. The ripple effects yeah, haven't even say, started. It's still early. In my, in my opinion, That's it's it. still early to judge that. But yes, you are yes. correct. And I think at the beginning, everyone was like, we, I mean, they're hoarding toilet paper for now, That's right? It. And we have toilet paper now. We have so. toilet paper, but are people going to be able to afford their medicine? Um, when this all settles down and we have the, what, food prices inflated, can people buy their food? Can they buy their medicine? Can they pay their rent? Those, those problems were already there. They're not going to get better based on this. Uh, I'm based on what happened. The world, you know, and the stock market. I don't get it. I mean, the world paused for whatever three months, six months. I don't, I don't get what's going on. Like, there's no way the shoe is dropped. Um, yeah, it, I agree. But I know? can tell you that even 
you know, I have a lot of friends on wall street and stuff and they've all yeah. gotten absolutely destroyed. So like mm. even the big boys don't understand what's happening. It's not like they yeah. all like, I think people have the opinion that like all of wall street is complicit and they, uh, yes. you know, they all bought the bottom and they're all getting super rich. Uh, but I think I, I, the exact stack was like 12 or 13% of hedge funds were profitable in both March and April. Wow. And that's a bottom to a, like a huge move up and they're losing money. So that's the retail to the people really pulling the levers, like those people, like those are the, the big money. Those are the little fish that the big fish are eating on. And um, I think only the people are, you know, only the treasury secretary and the fed president really, the people who can kind of, I don't know, move the market. Um, you know, if I was Trump's buddy, I'd ask him to uh, tweet something for me and I have a huge like short position put in or something. I mean, yeah, I mean, absolutely. And you just touched on something so important is that like, there's always a bigger fish. No there's always how. a bigger fish, man. That, that stay humble, right? You got to stay humble. There's always a bigger fish. Um, but also something we didn't touch on, I think we should, is that uh, don't try to be someone else. Like you can only be your best, right? You can only, based on the, the circumstances in life, based on your own situation, like don't be envious of Scott Melker or Big Cheds or someone else. Like you got to be your best in your life right now. And that's all you can do. Right. And I mean, and even in that regard, you don't know what's happening behind the scenes of those that's people right. that you may idolize or believe. Like, yeah, first we're both all, getting get, divorced right now, right? right, we're both, right. <laughs> I mean, first of all, everybody could be lying, but I don't think they That's are. True. But like, right. yeah. everybody puts their best face forward. It's like Facebook. You only see yeah. them like having a great time. Yeah, you, everybody puts their best face forward. And like, yeah. you know, some of these people who are showing their Lambos and, and Rolexes might also be like clinically depressed you know, and not talk about it. You just have no idea who you're, who you're idolizing. It's such yeah. an important point is like, yeah. you know, if you only have a thousand dollars, you can't just magically turn it into a hundred thousand because somebody else you know, did it or you think they did, or they yep. show you that they did. That That's actually right. leads me to an important point. So mm. if you had, if someone came to you and said, listen, I want to be a professional trader. I have a thousand dollars. I get this question all the time. How much can I expect to make in a month? <laughs> you know, which you can't tell somebody, I hate but like, that. What, yeah. what would you say to someone who, let's say they even had a reasonable stack, 50 grand. Like, okay. What would you say to them? Well, what's their question? How much can they make a month or how or, they should no, like, start? Like, should, should I become a pro trader? How should I start? Uh, how should you start? Um, so you should start by studying. Yeah. You start by learning. I actually, I actually recommend paper trading. A lot of people don't write, like to paper trade because you need to have your own money involved. I still paper trade. But I, yeah, there you go. It's like, it's like test out a thesis, test out a trade idea and put into an Excel spreadsheet what happened. Like you have to put in the work. That's the bottom line. Do, if you want to do it, then you're going to have to put in the work. It's not going to come to you. And it's going to be really hard and you're probably going to have to suffer for a long time before you get it right. If you're okay with that, you know, go for it. And here's what, you know, here's what you should do, right? And then you give them some books to read, maybe some, some good educational feeds to follow, uh, go on YouTube. There's so much good free information out there. Yeah, it's pretty, uh, pretty incredible how much you can uh, learn for free now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I love paper trading. I think it's super important and mostly for what you said, obviously, well, for, honestly, for some people I've found it does have the emotion attached, even though it's not their money because they still have that right, wrong mentality. And they mm. literally, even if nothing's on the line, they just can't stand being wrong. And maybe that yeah. can eat it out of you. Yeah. But you shouldn't have your real money in the market until you've tested some sort of system, whether your system is completely garbage or not. Otherwise you're just arbitrarily like, you know, throwing craps dice at a casino, in my opinion. That's exactly right. And, um, you know, once, but once you get started, have a plan, use the proper bankroll management, it's out there. Uh, and you maybe go one or 2% of your bankroll for each play when you're starting something really small. Um, and just, just a little taste, see how it feels, you know, keep a trading journal, write down why you, why you entered a trade, why you exited, what you learned. You either do it or don't do it, right? You can't, uh, there's, what is it? Um, what a Yoda says, like either try not, or I don't know the do phrase. Not, there is no try. Yeah. I mean, that's it, right? Either do it or don't do it, man. That's what I just, if you're going to do it, that's what I tell my friends who like, tell me they want to do this. They want to do that. Oh, I'm going to do this. I'm like, well, if you're going to do it, then do it. You know, don't just talk about it. Don't half-ass it. Don't think it's going to come to you. It's not going to come to you. Right. Yes. Nobody's a natural. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody. There's no such thing. So just like before we finish up, it, you've 
obviously, I mean, you've been through a lot. Is there anything yeah. that you would say to anyone out there that like maybe experiencing something like you've gone through, they may be sick and, and down yeah. and, and I guess then where should people look to find help if they need it? You got a first question I would ask you is, are you being kind to yourself? Okay. The world is so cruel. Um, you know, there's no reason to, to make it any harder on yourself. Don't beat yourself up. The world's going to try to do that. So, so stop and think, am I being kind to myself? Am I taking care of my body? You're probably not drinking enough water. So many problems would be solved. Just start drinking water, drink some more water. Are you giving yourself enough rest? How am I sleeping? Right. Um, am I setting myself up for a good sleep? Am I drinking and, and, and getting high before bed? You know, am I having these stimulants? What am I doing? Take care of yourself. The, the, the rest of the world is going to tear you down. So try to find a way to take care of yourself. Um, and there is hope. That's what I, there's hope. There's always hope. There's always tomorrow. You know, today is today, but, but you will get through this. And that's what I would say. Kind of glossed over it, but I mean, stage three cancer, the implication there is that they told you that I'm assuming survival was unlikely. No, actually. So that's- or Maybe that's a misconception. So. so I write about it in the book, which, which uh, so, all right. So stage three, so for lymphoma, that means it's on both sides of the diaphragm. So it actually, yes, it was, it's an aggressive blood cancer. It had already spread. It was in my, uh, uh, my left shoulder and in my right abdomen, uh, stage three. But my, I think he gave me like an 85% chance to, to beat it. Oh, wow. Okay. And which, but I mean, you want to, you want to look at your life on a probability scale? Oh, no. I mean, I'm not saying that. Do you that's see what great. I'm saying? So <laughs> that's, I mean, that's what I was dealt with. And I make the metaphor about aces uh, over twos in my book, right? You know, you, you know, you got the guy, he pushed you all in, you called him, but you're still, you're still sweating each card. And um, I was sweating each card, but I was confident. And I knew I was using really good marijuana. <laughs> really good, really. I, I mean, I had, I, li, I live out here. We have great, high grade. I, I read about it, National Institute of Health, talking about dealing with the side effects, talking about reduced tumor growth, talking about all this stuff. I read about it. I knew I was going to do it, CBD, THC. So I said, okay, I'm probably 90, 95%. And that's what I just kept telling myself. And uh, so, yeah, I was serious, but I, I was lucky, you know. Uh, I was, I was, I was, that's why, how are you positive? I was just lucky. I feel like I was, I was really lucky. Right. But you also felt like you were lucky even when you got the diagnosis and through those yeah. months, which I think is a very, uh, rare trait. So, uh, where can people find you after this? Keep up with you, follow your lessons, get, get a bit more of this. So thank you for, for saying that. And, and thanks for having me on, man. I'm, I'm glad we, we connected. I've always, um, I've enjoyed your, your work and you seem like a, uh, just Same. a genuinely nice guy. Very much mutual. Um, you can find me on Twitter. I am at Big Cheds on Twitter. Uh, I am on YouTube at Cheds Trading. I really don't uh, do much on YouTube. I put all my, pretty much all my long-form video on Bitcoin Live where I'm a founding analyst. If you're looking for an educational platform, I, would, I stand behind it. I recommend it. Uh, please check it out. Um, I, I also have ChedsTrading.blogspot.com mostly things I did a couple of years ago, but a lot of risk management and stuff geared towards uh, new people, the complete beginner's guide to crypto. I have an article, five ways trading is like poker. Just a lot of stuff we talked about here. Great free resource. Please check that out. Uh, and please, uh, if you are interested, check out my pinned tweet on Twitter for my book uh, called My Battles with Cancer, a candid patient and caregiver's memoir. It's available on Amazon right now, uh, Kindle and paperback, for, paperback format. I'm going to go buy it literally right now. It's the first thing I'm going to do. But I think I have to say, man, it's fair to say that, you know, your knowledge, experience, and definitely your positivity have clearly left a really lasting mark on this community and probably, I'm assuming, the lives of many other people. So, I hope uh, so. really an amazing story. And, you know, thank you so much, man. It was, it was a pleasure to uh, hear, hear, you, hear you tell it in, in person. Uh, it's an honor, and, and I owe you one, man. Thanks a lot. All right. We'll do it again soon. All right, buddy. Let's go. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. New episodes go live every Tuesday at 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Links to our Apple and Spotify channels are in the show notes. You can also follow me on Twitter at Scott Melker to continue the conversation. See you next week.